0: Good morning. morning. wooden for, hardada. For those of you that don't speak uh, Norwegian like most of us here, <laughs> what I said was, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Something might get lost in the translation there a little bit, I guess. But it is a... It's a it's an honor and a, a, a privilege to be here this morning, up here in, in, in the pulpit. I kind of feel like those of you that are disappointed that, that Daniel's not preaching today, I, I, I can understand that. But he'll, he'll, he'll be in the pulpit uh, next week. And I, I, I kind of feel like uh, a garage band opening up for Springsteen. <laughs> so so uh, it, it, it is an honor and a, and, and a privilege to, to be here. And uh, you know, last time we, we talked about Two months ago, I guess it was, and we, we were talking about what a great place this, this church is and how these, these people here, this is going to be a great place to work. You've only been here a few days, and you've got a Sunday off already, right? <laughs> so uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. So seeing as I ain't going to be preaching here much longer, uh, uh, let, let's open it a word of prayer and ask God to bless our time. Is morning, so how we... Good morning, Father. And Father, in spite of all the kidding and, and, and the joke, and I, I think I speak for everybody. We're just so glad that, that Daniel and Linda are here. And, and we're so excited to see what you're going to do, Father, in this, this next chapter of, uh, uh, of our church, Calvary, here, Father. And Lord, I, I pray, Father, that you would give me the words to say this morning, Lord. This is kind of a, a, a tough passage to preach. I pray that you would help me to be, uh, to be tactful, that people wouldn't be uh, be be insulted by what's said today, but they would be convicted. But at the same time, Father, I, I pray for a, a, a holy boldness because you said what you said and you meant what you said. And uh, I, I pray that people would be, be moved today, that that hearts would be changed, Father, and uh, and that they would take. A, you would speak to each and every one of us uh, personally, Lord, that we would hear what what you have to say to us personally, Father. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, those of you that heard my story and my testimony can probably guess that I spent quite a bit of time in the court of law, and no, I wasn't a lawyer. Although I think I probably would have made a pretty good lawyer, because I, I would argue till the cows come home trying to get my, trying to get my point across. So I, I do think I would have made a pretty good lawyer, but I don't think I would I have been able to pass the bar. There was Shannon's bar. Sully's Bar, Jackie Hughes' Bar. And because I'm from Jersey City, most of my issues occurred in, in Hudson County. And I was pretty good friends with the, 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 the county prosecutor. As a matter of fact, we were known to have more than a few adult beverages together from time to time. And I'd be led into court, and my prosecutor friend would kind of look at me and, and shake his head. And when my case would, call, would be called, he would, he would talk to my public defender and they would, they would huddle with the judge. And sometimes my, my charges would be reduced, or uh, sometimes the, the case would even be reduced or dismissed. And I got to know these judges so well that from time to time, they would give me a 90-day all-expenses-paid vacation in Carney, New Jersey, <laughs> right on the, Hackensack, the beautiful Hackensack River. Uh, it was, you know, the, the accommodations were a little tight. The rooms were only 10 by 8. You had to share them with one or two guys, depending upon how crowded it was. And You did have a five o'clock wake-up call, and the doors were locked behind you at seven o'clock, but you couldn't beat the price. And sometimes even a couple of my buddies would meet me there when I first, when I come through the doors, and I thought that was a pretty nice touch. But I don't know if you, know, if, if, if you people, if any of you here have, have ever been in, in the court or in a court setting, but that's going to change this morning. Because like a prosecuting attorney, Paul in our text this morning is going to construct an airtight case that all humanity is guilty of sin and in need of a Savior. And Paul is going to show us that because of man's downward spiral in sin, God abandoned them to their own foolish thinking and lets them do things that never should be done. And we're going to see this morning that sometimes God's punishment for sin is more sin. And that's the title of our message this morning. Sometimes God's punishment for sin is more sin. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans 1, verses 18 to 32, and let's listen in as we hear Paul's opening statement. For the wrath, of God is re- the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made, so that without excuse. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth, uh, the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural re- relations with those that are contrary to nature, Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They knew God's righteous decree, and those who practiced such things deserved to, to die. But they not only they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Now Paul begins his masterful argument laying out reasons why the wrath of God and the and, and and the guilt of man, and he starts off off by showing us our, our number one problem. And by the way, it's not racism, it's not terrorism or drug addiction. Well, these are terrible things, but they're only symptoms of a greater issue. Now, I think today a lot of things are classified as a disease. The Center for Medical Ethics and Health at Baylor College Medical Center says, racism isn't new, it's unceasing with no treatment or vaccine in sight. A more appropriate diagnosis would be racism as a chronic disease, like cancer or diabetes. Research in the, middle, the medical engineering and sciences says that terrorism is a social disease, both of individual, individual societies and, and humankind as a whole, as any illness is the result of deviations from a natural course of life. The American Mel- Medical Association deemed alcoholism as an illness in 1956 based on a the theory that excessive drinking and alcohol addiction is caused by a disease of the brain, based on the structure and function of the brain. You know, we have all kinds of programs today that to, to try to help people, but they only treat the symptoms. They don't get to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is the heart, our sinful heart. Let's suppose someone goes to a doctor, and the doc, they're complaining of a headache, and the doctor gives them an MRI or a, a CAT scan, and it goes back as you have a brain tumor. So the doctor gives him a couple of, uh, tells him to go home and take a couple of aspirins. See, he's not treating the cause of the problem. He's only treating the symptoms. And Paul says the biggest issue we have to deal with today as human beings is our sinful hearts. And it begins by saying because of our sinful hearts, we suppress the truth. Well, what truth? Well, the truth that God exists, so the wrath of God is coming. And then he begins to outline things that, that, that provoke the righteous wrath of God. He's like an, an attorney speaking to the jury. And as Paul begins to construct his case, he's going to prove to us why God's wrath is justified and why man stands guilty before a holy God. According to our text, there were three things that provoked the wrath of God. First, he's going to talk about the suppression of the truth. Second, he's going to talk about the fact that man begins to worship things that are created rather than the one who created them. And thirdly, he's going to talk about how man has Perverted nature, if you will, for his own personal personal lustful reasons. And as he, pregen- as he presents this case, he's going to use words like passion and, and, and lust. These are going to be key words in, 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 in Paul's argument. Sounds, like a lot, sounds a lot like the how we're living today, doesn't it? Why? Because there's nothing new under the sun. And today, our culture is driven by lust. It's not driven by logic anymore. It's not driven by reason. And we justify things because we lust for them. If we lust for it, if we want it, it must be okay. It means that it's it's in us. It's our nature. If it feels good, do it. We say that God doesn't exist. And we try to accuse God of, of hiding himself so we can we can excuse our unbelief and immorality. that's our first point this morning. We try to accuse God of hiding himself so we can excuse our unbelief and immorality. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them (coughs) excuse me, God has shown it to them. For his his invisible attributes, namely his eternal and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So let's deal with the first thing that Paul brought up, or was going to bring up here, as far as things that provoke the wrath of God. What is man guilty of suppressing? The truth that God exists. That there's a God in heaven. Man suppresses that. Why is it being suppressed? Well, I think it's obvious. Although, we, although there's all kinds of intellectual arguments that are made for why we don't believe in God, I think it all comes down to the fact that we don't, we don't want him around. We want to live our lives the way we want to live them. God cramps our style. He reigns on our sin parade. And so we're going to believe that he doesn't exist, so we don't have to worry about it, Right? But Paul says here that man suppresses the truth in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. What evidence? Nature and creation. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the beginning of the world in things that have been made, so, that without, so they're without excuse. Look at the words that, that, that Paul chooses here. Have been clearly perceived. Not basically, not kind of, not arbitrarily or vaguely. They're clearly perceived in what's been made ever since the creation of the world. In, in, in fact, it says that men are without excuse because it's so obvious to us that there's a God. Paul says it's, it's obvious. I think about David when he was a young man out in the field watching over his, his father's sheep. Looking up, the, looking up at the sun during the day and the stars at night considering the creation of God. In fact, David wrote about it a thousand years before Christ was born in Psalm 19. Psalm 19 verses 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above be- be- proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice isn't heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth And their words are heard to the end of the world. See, it doesn't matter what language we speak. All we have to do is look up at the sky. Look at creation. Look at all that's been made. And there's this this voice speaking to us in our language that says God exists. Paul refers to it here as a declaration of God's existence and attributes. He says that it's plain to us. Well we might say, well, if the existence of God is so plain and obvious, why are there so many scientists today that try to convince us that God doesn't exist? Why do some people wonder if it's so obvious looking at creation? You can see God exists. I just don't get it, they say. Well, it all centers around the idea of design. If there's one thing that creation around this shows us, that is that life and nature have been intricately designed, it's so obvious. In fact, our bodies are Marvelous examples of engineering and design. <laughs> the more we learn about our physical bodies, and we know more about them today than we, have, than we ever have, the more we see that we're fearfully and, and, and wonderfully made in intricate design. And the thing that we understand about design is that when there's design, when there's design, there must be a designer. Those of us who went to Calvary Bible Academy, we had, we had, a, we had a class on that. See, that's just logic. But then again, we don't think by logic anymore, do we? We don't think by using any kind of logical reasoning any longer. But it's still true. Where there's design, there must be a designer. And the awareness of design and order is something that that God has factored factored into all of us. We don't have to go around looking for it. We don't have to take a class to to learn how to recognize design. It's, it's, It's just in us. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans 1. It's obvious. It's plain. When you look at creation, you see design. I look at this beautiful designer shirt I'm wearing. My wife, Valerie, who I love more than words could ever say, she found this uh, French designer store, Target, she calls it. She buys all my clothes in Target. See, th- this shirt didn't just come, just come into being. It wasn't woven together in some kind of random occurrence. You know, you look at this shirt, and it's obvious that this shirt had a designer. I mean, that's what we logically determine, right? There's no way that this shirt just came into being. And this shirt is just a, a very simple design. In fact, our bodies are a very complex design. And yet we're being told that there's no designer for our physical body. There's no designer for this, this world in which we live. But that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because where there's, where there's design, there must be a designer. In fact, in the universe, we see overwhelming evidence of both design and order. But modern science wants us to believe that order came out of chaos. They can't prove it, but they want us to believe it. They believe the universe came out, come about through some chaotic random incident. But, there, but is there order in the universe we live in? Of course there is. We can set a watch by the sun coming up and going down. And we know that spring, after spring, summer is coming. Except maybe here in New Jersey. And none of us would say, gee, I wonder if winter's coming this year. You know, we know that it is because nature around us and creation around us has order built into it. And you know what order proves? Order proves intelligence. See, modern science is trying to tell us that there's no order to creation, that there is order to creation, but there's no intelligence behind it. But do you know what they do? You know what they're looking for in space. What they're looking for uh, for life on other planets, they're looking for intelligence. You know how they They're trying to find intelligence. They're, they're listening for, for frequencies out in space. I know a lot about this. I took up space in school. <laughs> you know. <they laughs> do you know what they're listening for in those frequencies? They're listening for order. But what they hear is this, this random noise. There's, there's nothing orderly about it. See, they know, although they deny it, order proves intelligence. And yet they're trying to tell us that the order of our physical body and order of creation around us wasn't made through intelligent processes but through random processes. It's ridiculous. And we've been deceived. And it's a product of, our, of dark and futile thinking. Simple as that, we've been lied to. We've been lied to so much lately, we don't know who to believe anymore, right? We try to accuse God of hiding himself. We say that there is no God, and we excuse our unbelief and immorality. That's what's happening in our world today. We don't honor God God anymore. And when you fail to respect and honor God, he'll hand us over to our own desires. That's our second point this morning. When we fail to respect and honor God, he'll hand us over to our own desires. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of a mortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged it the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. That a- a- amen here is, is uh, it wasn't uncommon for, for people to add a, a doxology when they were talking about God. Paul does that in, in Romans 9 or 5 and 2 Corinthians and Galatians. The creator who is blessed forever. It's a short doxology. See, people knew God perfectly well but they didn't treat him like God. And because they refused to worship him they lost all common sense and direction in their lives. They traded the glory of God for cheap idols. So God said, in effect, that's what you want? That's what you got. He let them dictate their own desires. And it wasn't long after that they, they were living a, in a immoral life. And all of this is because they traded the true God for a, a fake God and worshiped the God that they created rather than the God that created them. And this is what's going on in our world today. Right? We've chosen to say that God doesn't exist and overwhelming evidence that God does exist. And verse 21 says they became futile in their thinking and ultimately they became darkened in their understanding. Their hearts were darkened. And this is what Paul speaks about. He speaks about the second thing that provokes the wrath of God here in verses 22 to 25. Claiming to be wise, they actually became fools and he exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling things that were created like mortal man, Birds and animals and creeping things; therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged exchange the truth about God for a lie. <coughs> Excuse me, and they went on to worship and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul is probably talking about the early stages of idolatry here, where they they used to bend down and worship. Uh, statues, and idols. But don't think that's just because you don't have little statues in your house that you don't idolize things. You want to see what somebody idolizes? Look at their Facebook page. So we can't comfort ourselves by saying that that idolatry isn't going on today. There's plenty of things that we idolize today. Idolatry can manifest itself in the form of drugs, alcohol, sex, sleep, work, gambling, shopping. Eating. We live to please ourselves more than we please, live to please God. See, this tells us why addiction, addiction isn't a disease. It's a sin. It's the sin of idolatry. See, it's a hard problem because we have a sinful nature. The alcoholic and the drug addict is actually actively serving and pleasing the God of self by using alcohol and drugs. This is idolatry. It's a spiritual problem. And you can't solve a spiritual problem using secular means. It's a hard issue. Well, Paul goes on to speak of idolatry, where where idolatry takes us in verses 24 and 25. It says, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they went on to worship and serve the, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. There, there, were, there were two results, two natural results of rejecting, ex- uh, re- rejecting the existence of God. First, it's impurity. That's the first thing. The natural result of rejecting God is impurity. It tells us in verse 4, God gave them up and they lusted their hearts to impurity. That means when you, when you reject God, you can't go on and say that I'm going to live a moral life. You can't do it. We can't go on to say there's no God and then in the next breath say that we're going to live in harmony with one another and treat each other morally and honestly. It ain't happening. And Paul says the first thing that happens when we reject God is and suppress the truth to say that there is no God. Impurity always follows. We begin to have an immoral society. And we're living it out today in this country, in this world, I believe. Things that are being debated in our court system as a direct result of rejecting God. Things wouldn't even be coming up in the Supreme Court or any other court if we hadn't rejected God as a nation. And Paul is saying when you reject God, you get impurity. Notice how he describes impurity in 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 his verse. He talks about the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. He's talking about sexual impurity. That always goes hand in hand with rejecting God. The more people reject God the more sexually immoral they become. And remember, Paul is writing this letter to the Romans from Corinth, where sexual immorality, sexual immorality was on display every day. There were temple prostitutes who, who stood in the doorways of these temples, and, and people would come in and have sex with them and uh, uh, worship with their pagan gods. Paul saw this every day. He knew and understood that when a society rejects God, they plunk headlong into sexual immorality. It always goes hand in hand. Remember what Paul said in Hebrews 13 and 4? Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. And in in particular, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Why? Well, because God is going to judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. adulterous. He says, um, when he talks about honor here, he's not only talking about uh, uh, adultery, he's talking about marriage between a man and a woman. That's, that's being sexually immoral. God made man to marry woman, not, not man with man, woman with woman. Paul is saying, don't live your lives like the sexually immoral, the people who have rejected God. It's impossible to say that I believe in God and be sexually immoral. I think about David again with his, uh, uh, his, uh, his adultery with Bathsheba. Well, he was forgiven, but he suffered those consequences for years. And, and I think pot, probably in the, in the worst possible way, through his kids. See, today's sexual sins are being paraded around as, as entertainment in movies and in television, and mankind is winking at it like it doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters. Marriage should be held in honor. Is marriage held in honor today in our country? I don't think so. In fact, it's just the opposite, the direct opposite. People are shacking up all over the place. They don't see anything wrong with it. And people today are, 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 are winking at it and say, well, you know, whatever. And marriage isn't honored any longer. And the marriage bed isn't kept pure. It's been defiled. And it's the behavior of, it's the behavior of a, a, a lost and darkened society that Paul's referring to here. And he's saying that it's, he's arguing this for the guilt of man. Man is guilty. Verse 25 says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they went on to worship and serve things that are, are created rather than the Creator. You see, when you reject God who's the creator, what do you have left to worship? Created things. You might say, "Well, wait a minute. Why don't I have to worship anything?" Because God made us to worship. We're made to worship. And when we take God out of the equation, the only one who's worthy of our worship, we're going to worship something. We will run after something. Might be sex, might be money, might be alcohol and drugs, other forms of pleasure, you name it but you will run after something. We can't avoid it. You know, you look a little deeper into somebody's life, you know, you scratch the surface. You'll see what they worship. You will worship somebody or something. Bob Dylan wrote a song about that. You got to serve somebody. I know some of you don't have a clue to what I'm talking about, right? That's okay. You still go to heaven. But it's true. People begin to serve the creation or the creature and what that means is that they're serving something other than God. That's the, 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 the denial of normal, realistic, realistic, realistic thinking. Because think about it. If you're serving something that's created, that means there is a creator. And you're denying the creator to serve something that the creator made. You're worshiping something that's inferior. You know, a little while ago, we looked at this beautiful designer shirt that my wife Valerie bought me. You know, which is greater? The design. Or the designer, I think all of us would recognize that the person who designed my shirt is greater than the one who de- desi- than the shirt itself. That's why Paul is arguing here for the, the illogic and the, the futility of, of worshiping created things. Anything other anything other than God we run after in our life is worshiping and serving created things rather than the Creator. And when we reject God and worship a self-made substitute then they're going to violate the divinely created order of mankind. That's our third point. Let me, let me say that again. It's, it's, it's kind of long. When people reject God and worship a self-made substitute, they're going to violate the divinely created order of mankind. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and we're committed and consumed with a passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Their error. See, when society rejects the existence of God, we see this progression. When they're suppressing, su- suppression, or the silencing of what, what people instinctively know through creation, when they suppress it and they say there is no God, that he doesn't exist, it goes like this. All kinds of sexual impurity, it becomes the order of the day. But it doesn't stay there. We enter this, this free fall of immorality. Paul is talking about this, this downward spiral of uh, human morality. It's the theory of devolution. How do you like that word? Devolution. I'm starting to learn if you throw a word like that in every once in a while, people think you know what you're talking about. Now, the theory of devolution it's devolving, not evolving. See, the Bible doesn't teach that man started low and climbed high. The Bible teaches that man started high and because of sin sank lower. And I think we're sinking lower and lower with every generation. How many of us have said, ah, uh, wasn't as bad in my day? How many have heard their parents say that? Well, you know what? Our kids and our grandkids are going to say that. Why? Because it's true. It's absolutely true. So it begins with knowledge, right? We have some concept of the knowledge of God. and it's, it's pretty, very simple and plain. Verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God and give thanks to him. But it goes from knowledge to vanity to emptiness and futile thoughts. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Then it goes from vanity to idolatry, worshipping all sorts of things, including themselves. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped a creature rather than the creator. Then it goes from idolatry to immorality. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for the river. Anyone who has studied the Bible knows that idolatry tends toward immor- immorality. And the Bible often uses uh, uh, expressions of, as a, a, a sexual expressions for a, a symbol of idolatry. Look at uh, uh, Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16 unleashes a scathing rebuke against Judah for abandoning God with a love affair for idols. In fact, God calls her a harlot and describes her idolatry as fornication, adultery, and prostitution. The people believed that the idols that they worshipped could use their seductive power by holding back the, the promise of fertility and procreation in the family's uh, crops, fields, and, uh, and family. Adoration of idols consisted of ritual prostitution in pagan shrines that, that littered the landscape of Israel's high places. Those shrine, in those shrines, idolatry and truth combined for a, a shameful act of worship One commentator said that an errant theology will produce an errant sexuality. If you have wrong wrong views about God, you have wrong views about humanity. If you have wrong views about origins, you have wrong views about sex. And on and on it goes. So Paul's painting the picture of the downward spiral of the, the, uh, the human condition and God's clear and completely righteous anger toward evil. In particular, those who have some knowledge of the truth but are suppressing it for their own self-centered lifestyle. And, those, and for those who do that, Paul is saying, God's wrath is poised. We've lost all, we've, we've lost all logic and understanding. And now we're, now we're now living by lust. That's the only thing that we're navigating by, lust. That's our barometer today, right? Verse 28 says, And since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know that God's right. They know, though they know God's righteous decree, those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them, but they give approval to those that practice them. When man begins to feel the, the, tra- the tragic consequences of his sin, you would think that he, re- he, would, he would repent and seek God and, and seek God, but actually just the opposite happens. See, because he was abandoned by God, he can only become worse. Man didn't even want to know God. So God gave them over, this time to a, a, a debased or a depraved mind. That means a mind that can't make right decisions. They now abandon themselves to sin. And sometimes God's punishment for sin is more sin. Paul lists, these four, Paul lists 24 of these specific sins in our text today. But there's more of them in, in, in Mark 7, Galatians 5, 1 and 2 Timothy. And I think the worst is yet to come. You know, I think there might be a, a, a risk to list like this. Of course we read these lists and we think, you know what? I got my faults, but thank God I ain't that bad. See, but these verses should cause us to to look at our hearts, examine our hearts, and to fear sinning. W. H. Griffith Thomas wrote in his his book St. Paul, Saint St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans. The possibilities of evil in a human heart apart from divine grace are as real as they ever were. And no one who knows the plague of his own heart will ever dare to say that even these depths of evil are impossible apart from the restraining influence of God's grace. And I believe that was written in 1921. See, these verses should cause us to examine whether we're truly living for for God's glory or are we substituting something from the creation in place of the only thing that belongs to the creator. Well, if all we have were these verses, it would be a pretty hopeless and depressing picture, wouldn't it? (laughs) Pretty bad news. But there's good news. And the good news is when Jesus died on the cross, he got what he didn't deserve, our sin. And we got what we didn't deserve, his righteousness. So we have the privilege of being exempt from God's wrath. If we choose to accept this free gift, the free gift of salvation, it doesn't come automatically. We have a part to play. We We have to accept God's free gift. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world so much that he, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In the beautiful language of Ezekiel 36, listen to verse 25. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and your idols. I'll give you a new heart to put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the old heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 33 and 11, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Second Peter 3 and 9, God says God, God says, God is patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. John 6 and 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on his Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on that last day. First Timothy 2 and 4. God desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not, have, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And Romans ten thirteen, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, I... I think it's common for all of us to, 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 to say the reason that we're justified in our behavior is that we were, we were born that way. The fact of the matter is that our belief about those things shouldn't be based on whether we were born that way or not. It should be based on the Word of God. Even if somebody could prove that they were born that way, that doesn't change anything. But people are born lots of ways today. In my 65 years of life, I recovered a boatload of things that I was born with. And I used every single one of them to justify why I was doing the things I was doing and living the way that I was living. You know, I think a lot of us have certain propensities or or tendencies to do the things that we don't like. And when we express those tendencies, we find ourselves smack in the middle of sinful behavior. And that's why we have to resist those temptations to act out those things that are in a sinful heart. Now, I look into my heart and I see things that I don't like. And I think if you were honest... You probably would too. See, we're all born with a sinful nature. But is that, re- is that a reason for us to live it out? Absolutely not. As Christians, it simply means that we need to bring those things to the cross. And as Christians, we have no room for hatred or even dislike for those who are living a lifestyle contrary to what the Bible says. How in the world are we going to reach these people if we go around hating them? The fact of the matter is God loves them. And just like we said, he loved us so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have an everlasting life. That includes all people, no matter what their lifestyle. And family, you and I have no choice in the matter. We have, to be, we have to be sinner-friendly. That doesn't mean we acknowledge it as normal. That doesn't mean that we tolerate it as a normal, natural thing. But it does mean that we can look these people in the eye and tell them, Jesus loves you, and so do I. If there's any other attitude floating around on our heart or our mind, we need to bring that to the cross because you know what? That's just as atrocious in God's sight. You know, if we believe immoral people can't be healed or restored by the power of God, you need to meet my Savior. Because I believe with all my heart as I stand before you today that Jesus Christ can change the life of any individual. I don't care who they are or what they've done. My Bible says that what's impossible with man It's possible with God. And if we don't believe that, what are we even doing here? Our God is able to bring about radical change for the life of anybody that surrenders that life to him. So if you're here this morning, or you're watching and listening online, if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ yet, you're condemned to death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Eternally separated from God. But this morning, you're going to have an opportunity to have your sentence overturned. Your record will be wiped clean. You'll be given a new life. You'll be set free. Not free to do whatever you want, but free to do what God's called you to do. If that's you this morning, and you'd like to begin a relationship with Christ, I'm going to say a simple prayer. Repeat these words after me. And like I always say, there's no, no magic to these words. It's not a magical Cantation is you're not joining some church or some religion Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship if you'd like to begin that relationship this morning, please repeat after me dear Lord Jesus I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead I turn from my sins and I invite you to commit to my heart and my life, I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior from this day on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, welcome to God's family. You have your, you your ticket punched to heaven. You're on the way, way to heaven. And if you made that, uh, that commitment this morning, I, I challenge you, tell somebody about it. Get with one of us here this morning and say that you made that commitment, or if you're listening online, tell somebody this week that you made that commitment to Christ, that you, you've taken that, that step in faith. Get in a good Bible teaching church. Get yourself a Bible and start reading it. A, a, a something an easy read, an easy read commentary, an easy read Bible. Begin to pray to God. Begin to have a conversation with Him each and every morning. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, Your Word comes to us so clear and so powerful, and we thank You for the warnings You give us. We thank You for the grace of confronting us with the. The truth, sometimes hard, difficult truths, Lord. Father, we pray that we, we, we would be proclaimers of your word, that we would go into the world, Father, and, 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 and tell people about what the changes you've made in our life, Lord. Father, people can be set free from this, this death sentence, this, your, 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 your wrath, Lord. And Father, I, I pray for a great revival in this country, Lord. Things that are going on today, Father, please, we, we need revival. Programs aren't going to solve the problem. It's all about a sinful heart, Lord. And you're the only one that can transform hearts. You're the only one that can do spiritual heart surgery, Lord. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Response (laughs) to the sermon, please. um,